0: What is up, Hockey IQ listeners? I'm here to chat about our newest sponsor, Sensorina. Your brain is one of the most important parts of your body. Why not invest in a tool that allows you to train it? With Sensorina, athletes can gain a competitive edge using VR training. Players are able to go through a scenario thousands of times without having to step foot on the ice. No more waiting around for puck touches or perfect scenarios. Sensorina can enhance reaction time, decision making, and multitasking abilities, making you the next MVP. I mean, if the LA Kings are using it, it's got to be good. With our promo code HockeyIQ, you receive $50 off an annual plan purchase. Head on over to sensorina.com to check it all out.
1: On the Hockey IQ podcast today, we bring on Sean Ferris. Uh, Sean is a bit of a, a legend in my world. I think he uh, basically hits all of these different elements that are so cool, uh, working with Evolving Wild, as it used to be. Now it's Evolving Hockey, From getting that correct, uh, the yes. rebrand. Yeah, it's, it's quite, quite the thing you guys have done. So we'll, we'll dive into that. But um, other than your, your Bruins love, um, everything else seems to be absolutely wonderful with you. So excited for this podcast.
2: Yeah, I'm excited to, to join you this evening. It's, uh, it'll be a lot of fun.
1: Awesome. Well, uh, give us a little bit of background on, on you, how you got to where you are in the hockey world right now, and we'll go from there.
2: Yeah, so I guess the hockey world um, where I sort of started or where I, I broke in, I guess, was with Ryan Stimson's passing project. And so that occurred when I was a senior in high school. I want to say, I want to say it was like 2015 was kind of um, when that was starting to pop off. And so I think I was just watching um, hockey game one night. And I just thought about passing and then Ryan had this passing project. And so I, I emailed Ryan and I started tracking some games and I really enjoyed that. And, and, Eventually that led me to starting to do some work for an OHL team. And then I started doing some more things publicly and got into hockey graphs. And then eventually through hockey graphs, um, I actually brought in like the evolving wild twins. They can't kind of came in at the same time as me. And when I was talking with Garrett hole, who was, of the founders of hockey graphs i said that the evolving wild twins should join us and uh long story short ended up um actually at the time we didn't know they were twins long story short they ended up being twins they developed a website and i ended up joining them probably 2019 um and so that's kind of where i ended up with that i continued that ohl thing for uh, my four years of undergrad and now I largely just do the evolving hockey stuff. And I guess within that, I sometimes forget it, but in 2018, I, I did work for the Hamilton Bulldogs and I have an OHL championship to my name, I guess. So that's one interesting thing about me.
1: Oh, so we got a champion in our midst. I, I like it, but <laughs> um, going back on your start, obviously Ryan is a, a highly influential person in especially the beginning stages of, of this analytics movement, you know, what was it like working with him and his ideas, his thought processes, how he um, evolved over the time that you guys worked together? Uh, Cause obviously that was kind of like the first big thing that I remember seeing out there as someone trying to do like a public sourced uh, data project.
2: Yeah. So Ryan was definitely a good mentor for me and What I really enjoyed most about Ryan was that he was a very different thinker and a deep thinker. And a lot of his early writing through the project that he was running was just very... He had a different view on traditional hockey topics. And I found that incredibly interesting and kind of it inspired me as well. The one that I always the one that I remember the most is probably his one on low to high tactics. Ryan wasn't at the time uh, really into sort of the coaching side of things and the draft is in Buffalo that particular year. And so he went to the um, coaching conference that the NHL holds and he saw a presentation on sort of low to high offense and behind the net offense. And then he went ahead and took the data and, compared it it did a really thorough analysis on the two and I just found that fascinating and Ryan ended up running away with the coaching stuff and he wrote his own book tape to space and he just really found a niche in the coaching area um, he did some different things for the coaches site uh, he was on the glass and out podcast and so it was just really interesting to kind of be able to have Ryan as a source through his growth um, starting in sort of the analytics sphere and then sort of turning into what he kind of called like um, kind of combining analytics and coaching. It was just really awesome to have him as a resource.
1: So tactilelytics, that's a, a good name. What, what all does that entail?
2: I think it's, it's really about like taking well, I don't, I don't think in American sports, we often call them like tactics, right? It's kind of a different, but it's more like a soccer type of term where you call, I don't know, sort of like the technical stuff on the ice tactics or your strategy tactics. Um, and then sort of combining that with like an evidence-based approach. Ryan was just always big about just having some evidence for whatever you say. And uh, I think that's kind of just what it speaks to. He, you know, we say he had an example in his book for, for, as an example of um, he coached a, I don't remember if it was like a minor midget team. I forget what age level. Yeah. Was that it? And, you know, they took a face off and they, the way that they set up um, Ryan was like, why are we setting up like that? And, you know, one of the assistant coaches like told him, well, this is, you know, how we did it back in the day. Don Sherry was, you know, in Rochester. And, uh, ryan's just somebody who questions things and he just needs an answer and, and ryan has a different view on face-offs and he sort of developed it himself but he thinks deeply about about just any sort of question i think that's really what tactolytics is about
1: i think the key aspect and, and you can tell me if i'm wrong here is just like asking the questions in the first place like even if you don't know the answer or don't have the answer quite yet, now you're getting other people thinking about this. And if they're not thinking about it, well, maybe we need to find another person or a new environment to thrive in. Um, And I I do some USA hockey coach developing. And like, that's my big thing. You don't have to know anything about hockey. If you're just asking questions, getting the players thinking, like they become their own best coaches.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. I think it's just uh... I think even with the analytics thing and I think coaching is really catching up on this. Like, I think coaching is getting super progressive and and there's progressive people that are kind of coming up on this. I think just as a whole, um, North American hockey is really sort of catching up with just like thinking about why we do things. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's just asking yourself the questions of, is this right? And it might turn out that like the way something's being done is correct. But like, you just kind of want to know why. And as you search for the answer, you're one going to come up on different questions to go on to different tangents. And then two, you're just like thinking more deeply and you're just going to understand more than you did before. So it's just a terrific practice, no matter what, to be able to just understand what's going on.
1: Yeah. And research is boring like that, that uh, 90% of the time, if not more, it's like, oh yeah, that's leading to the result that we've always been doing and, um, you know, passing is important. Like, Oh, no duh. But, yeah. uh, I'm curious on for you, right. You, you've seen all these analytics, you've been involved in this community. What are some ways that you you've seen the game, or if you have some stats off the top of your head or a cheat sheet, you know, what are some stats that you see and like, yeah, teams need to be playing this way, or this is an advantageous way to play based on the evidence Uh, behind these tactics.
2: So I think early on, it was like uh, Eric Tolsky, who now works for the hurricanes, who I think is just very well known around the hockey world at this point. Um, I forget what his official title is now, but like they kept changing and sort of promoting it. And it became very clear that he was important. He was like the initial one. I could be wrong, but he was the sort of the initial one that uh, brought zone entry importance. um, And I believe he did exits as well. To sort of the public sphere of analytics, he teamed up with a paper on a paper with, I want to say, I'm going off the top of my head, Brian McDonald, Corey Schneider, and somebody else at Sloan one year too, like this like 2014, and like that was like the that was a big part of like kind of combining analytics and saying like this is kind of how we need to play, because it was just obvious that being able to control entries would lead to more shot attempts and therefore more goals. And I would say you, that would kind of be the, the possession stats I I think would, would point you towards the, the idea of how you want to play. But I always would warn too, that um, there's definitely some different factors in there that would maybe change the way also that you want to think about that. And like again, like you sort of dig deeper. Like I said, you you draw more questions on as well. And Asma Tume or Tumi—I always mispronounce her name. Um, she had a paper. I think it was at Nessus that sort of uh, looked at uh, Bayesian. Uh, I forget. She did a lot of math to find like which teams like would be more advantageous or less advantageous to control entries against. Um, but I think. I think you find a lot of a lot of good sort of tactic stuff out of that type of data.
1: 2013 was the year I, I get to do research while you talk, so it's perfect. So Eric, Tolsky oh this long that, paper, yeah, 2013 from Eric Tolsky. Um, and I remember that because it was the summer that uh, Parise came out saying that he read this paper and that he was going to be trying to dump less. That I remember hearing about that, so that was like a super cool thing to see. It's like you know, controlled entries now, it's like a no brainer. Everyone tries to do it, especially on the power play. But if we go back and you watch a game from 2010, that was not the preferred tactic.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, it was. I've I think during COVID, they started showing a lot of replays, and I remember watching a replay of the 2011 Stanley Cup final, and I just almost could not watch it i could not believe that was like um some of the best hockey that 2011 had to offer like just the change in speed and the change that uh are the different decisions that players make now uh it's just like crazy to look at and i would i would bet and this is probably going to sit in a private um sort of private area for a while but i bet you there's something else that sort of you could look at that's a decision, a clear decision thing of zone own entries. They're clear decisions. You have some piece of context that might determine that, that um, decision, but you sort of have the ability to choose whether or not you carry the puck across the blue line. If you're going to get checked early and you're going to give up the puck, then yes, like the best idea is like to dump in the puck. Um, there's probably somewhere out there still that there's a clear decision point that players make that maybe we're not even on which is like something that doesn't keep me up at night but it keeps me curious for sure
1: well i guarantee you that point shot sucks so i think yeah, that's one we can all agree, <laughs> I agree on, with right?
2: that i agree with that
1: did uh, did you end up reading my my newsletter post on point shot suck
2: Yes. I think it didn't, didn't you follow up with, with mine as well? I feel like we had a follow-up there to three downs. Is that the, No, we did.
1: Yeah. You were the last thing you're like, Oh, I got this cool graph. Like I'm going to add it <laughs> see, Add it. Yeah, you're right. I did. I didn't edit that up
2: because it's, it's a false kind of a false assumption. And then actually that sort of goes back to one of the Ryan articles that I referenced earlier where point shots actually produce, generally speaking less rebounds than other shots. So it's like kind of a false assumption, and I probably accepted that assumption for like years and years, like probably until my early twenties, until like Ryan came out with that. Uh, well, every that like every, coach their, yeah, every coach in
1: their every coach in the right mind was spewing that for how many years? Like, oh, you get the pucks to the net and crash for rebounds. Like, yeah,
2: yeah. And, and, and then, then you still, at- sort of still do
1: <laughs> some teams, yeah, but now you see you know, those rates have come down over time. So, and now it's, it's come to like, how do you improve recoveries? How do we take other shots? How do we open up the middle of the ice more? Like those types of things. I don't know. Are those the things that you're watching or like when you watch a game, what are you looking for now? Because obviously you come from a different background than most here on on how you probably even just see the game through a different lens.
2: Yeah, I definitely think, well, so even so I I think I said this, I don't know if I've said this, I said this somewhere, I think recently that Andrew Thomas had, I don't know, this is unreleased, something I haven't released yet. Andrew Thomas, who worked for the wild at one point, who was one of the co developers of war on ice, which was one of the original hockey analytics sites. said that in his experience with the wild, traditionally, the hockey, people are really focused on like quality of shots and different things like that and analytics people are more focused on sort of the process to that and I would say I probably focus on the process of getting to shots more than anything to almost like the points where like I I kind of not stop paying attention but like shots just feel different to me and so I focus like a lot more on like I I would say like for checking and how um how teams are defending in the zone. I really like defense, how teams are defending in the zone and like the differences of support off ice off puck things. Like I, I look like completely like probably away from what everybody else looks at to the point where shots, like they just don't, they like almost feel like a blip in my, in my watching. Like they almost feel like a distraction. Like I'm very focused on, uh, more of the defensive side of the, of the game.
1: So you're focused more on the process of how these things come about than the actual event itself. Okay. Um, moving on a little bit, I'm, I'm curious about your time with hockey uh, graphs because that is one very influential website that has produced many people uh, to that have gone on to influence modern day hockey curious what your involvement was uh to start
2: so i i joined back in maybe it was the february or march it was probably march let's say of like 2017 i had wrote an article before that that sort of like i guess impressed some people um which is basically i would like to redo it at some point and sort of do it better but it was basically under the premise that teams that rely heavily on high quality shots will underperform their expected goals, um, and would be less consistent. And, um, so I wrote this article and Garrett had invited me in to hockey graphs and I had wrote, um, I wrote a handful of articles while I was there. The biggest piece of hockey graphs is kind of what goes on behind the scenes, I guess, The Slack was really an area for me and I think others as well, where we would, we almost had this like little sub Twitter, I guess, if you will, Um, we were able to just kind of interact and learn from each other. And so if people could go back and see some of like the debates on expected goals and um, these other like regular, regular, uh, I'm struggling here these other regression models um and just sort of like the debate on them it was like a huge like learning environment for me more than uh doing any sort of i guess work um cuz it was just really it was a great area for like bringing a lot of of great hockey minds together and just being able to share things and yeah i mean you talk about the alumni um it's kind of an impressive list i don't know where it's at now it's probably uh, in our Slack alone, there's probably like 10 people that ended up going on and currently work for NHL teams and some others are just, um, they do other impressive things uh, and some don't work in hockey anymore. I, I mean, um, not everybody has stuck with it, but um, yeah, more than anything, it was just like a great environment to just learn about analytics and And what kind of goes on behind the scenes, all the thinking that goes on behind the scenes. And I'm never going to be a Michael Blake McCurdy, but to be able to sort of understand a lot of what goes into a model and learn how to draw things from it was like really crucial. I love, I love specifics. If you could give
1: maybe like an example or something that really blew you away um, or something that maybe not dive into the weeds on the super technicals, but some things that maybe you, you pulled away and learn that players, parents, coaches that are listening could, could
2: learn from. Ooh. You know, I'm thinking, cause a lot of, of what was learned in that was really more of the technicals of the model um, and sort of what goes into it. I remember though, specifically we had a conversation about like high school junior type of stats so this is actually an interesting one where someone I, I remember this okay so someone had asked i believe it was micah um who's in our slack he's never like officially a part of hockey Grass. i don't think but like he was part of our slack so someone had asked them about this person wanted to help out for like a high school team i want to say or maybe it was a junior team Micah had this uh, idea that you probably shouldn't use relative statistics. And I kind of, I don't remember how he came to that conclusion. Maybe it's worth reevaluating, but it's just sort of better off. If you're trying to keep stats for a high school program or a local college program or um, what have you, and you want to include stats, it would probably just be you're probably fine to just do your um, normal on-ice stop, stuff and not try to, to go too complicated. You're going to get the same message, if not a better message, than if you try to like do some sort of relative statistics, um, just because it's either you should do a full regression or just leave it sort of raw as, as a short kind of lesson to be learned. So don't do too much because you don't do too much unless you it. have the ability to do too much. Cause then you're going to waste your time.
1: Yeah. Cause you're probably <laughs> going to get a similar message and is the extra clarity that important, as long as it maybe puts you in the right direction to start with. That's the way I would take that.
2: Yeah, I guess so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Excellent. Is there any um, favorite pieces or things that stick out in your mind from your time at hockey grass? Like, Oh, that was an awesome piece. That was great research or like that changed the way I see the game or people play the game.
2: So again, I would always like love to point back to Ryan and a few of his articles there. I, particularly the the biggest piece that had the most influence on me, and it was while I was at hockey graphs and it was on hockey graphs was Ryan Stimson's piece on um basically sort of tactics in the offensive zone. So to kind of dig deeper because that was part of the passing project right we um the way we record it we would, we would record the previous three shots to a shot attempt we call them shots shot assists and we'd do it all in excel but we'd kind of keep like um we would record the zones and so it'd be like offensive zone right lane or um you know neutral zone left lane whatever and so there was a couple of other things that we would add on to, so we called the Royal road would be a, a kind of a piece to that. A, um, a pass back to the point would be another piece to that from behind the end line would be a piece to that and stretch passes. And so like these all, we had sort of like these like codes for them, I guess. Um, and so somehow like Ryan, he must've known. I I don't think he actually really knew before kind of coming across this coaching conference, but he had the data available. And so he kind of broke down all this data that we were, we were working with and he compared shots where the previous uh, pass was headed back to the point um, for a defenseman and he, and the defenseman shot the puck. And he also included tips in there and found that, um about an all shot attempts about 1.5% of those passes back to the point where the shot was taken would go in including you know, including tips and deflected shots and then he compared it from if a pass came from behind the end line and he found if i remember correctly the shooting percentage was like 9% on all shot attempts so quite high well above average and, um, that changed the way I saw the decision and then he had that piece about, uh, about rebounds that we've also sort of discussed here. And so that changed the way that I saw the way the game is played in the offensive zone, right. Where, um, I definitely preferred more of a cycle system. And then I think eventually it kind of came out to me where, um, through other things where I kind of like more of a Tampa Bay system where they kind of play like what I would call like a mid boards and they create space in the middle of the ice and like the high slot sort of area. But regardless, I thought that piece was really well done. It connects with a lot of people and it had a large influence on me.
1: Excellent. So one last piece on hockey graphs before, before we go to uh, evolving hockey here, curious about that piece that you wanted to revise. How would you want to revise it is there a specific thing or you just want to update everything
2: so the article that sort of influenced me on that was done in baseball and i believe it was a Markov chain um analysis and i at that time i didn't have the know abouts to run any sort of Markov chain analysis. <laughs> Analyses I did like the analysis in Excel. I didn't know how to code at the time. So I would probably like to use like a more sophisticated method. I think generally speaking, the assumptions would be roughly the same um, or in the results would be roughly the same, but I would like to do it just in that more sophisticated um, method and maybe present on that. Uh, it's just maybe a better... It would give you a better reputation, I think.
1: Oh, and here, here's Mika coming to yell at you about don't don't overcomplicate it. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, he, unless you had the means to, unless you had the means to do it. So I think now I, I probably have the means. I I can get myself around R. And as you pointed out, I have like my cheat sheets over here in the background, so they should be able to get me through. Excellent. And then, did
1: you go to the Hamilton Bulldogs from? hockey grass or did you do it after the fact when when did Hamilton come in
2: so I started with Saginaw and that was somebody approached Ryan um and I was doing the passing project and somebody approached Ryan and said they were, were trying to start like an analytics department and Ryan had recommended me so I got it through the passing. I got it through the passing project and then eventually that led me to hockey graphs
1: okay so with Saginaw when Know they're just starting brand new with that department. What were the things you guys were were working on? Was it a one man band or did you have some help?
2: So, we had a handful of people. I say a handful, I want to say it was four, if I remember correctly, that we started off with. And, um, yeah, a lot of it was just trying to start to develop a database and just it started completely from scratch. So, you want to um, be able to start looking at shot metrics and look at zone entries and exits and figure out because it was year 1 right and it was still like a little bit more new at the time this is back um the 1617 season i i think if i have my timeline correct and um so yeah i mean it was just starting and and just trying to figure out how they can make it work so Saginaw was a little bit less um, sophisticated, I guess, than when we got to Hamilton and um, I moved over with, with uh, one of the uh, scouts essentially to Hamilton. They sort of had like a flip flop in the offices and I ended up moving to, to Hamilton. I did the, not moving physically, but I went over to to that team to help out and I did that for the next three years. And eventually we started to get a little bit more sophisticated and we started um, building a database of teams around the league. And we started to explore different things that we could track internally. And um, I wouldn't say it deviates too much, though, from like, what you would have an idea of in the, in the public sphere. It was just large part of it's just putting together the, um, the database itself.
1: So were you having conversations with coaches about, Hey, this player's doing good. This player's doing bad.
2: Like how did you guys plug into the organization itself? So we had basically like um, someone above me would kind of step in the, in the middle of it. So I never like physically would talk to the coaches about it, but we'd have conversations um, kind of about like what's happening on the ice. And cause we would, we'd have to manually track it. Right. So I'd watch all the games and I'd notice different things sometimes too, when you're, when you're going through and you're tracking and you're stopping and starting video and, and whatever, you might notice different things. And so it might be said, you know, they might ask me for my opinions on different things and, uh, you know, I kind of give it back and I say, this is sort of what I'm seeing. And like, I remember specifically like with Hamilton, eventually (laughs) after the cup, it kind of went downhill. Right. Because, that's kind of just, unless you're a major program, uh, in the OHL, you usually kind of just make a run and then you're, you struggle for a couple of years and that's kind of what happened with Hamilton. They started making a run and it was like, okay, we're really making a run here. And we went out at the trade deadline and like we traded away Connor McMichael for Robert Thomas and both of those are NHLers now. Right. But Connor McMichael was going to have his draft year the, the following year. And, um, but So we, we made some sacrifices to, to go ahead and win a championship the first year. And we started relying a lot on point shots as an example. And it wasn't really showing up in our data. And I kind of mentioned it, like we're really relying on point shots here. And it was kind of a conversation that we had sort of all had. Um, so I had that with another person who had then had that with the coaching staff. And then we sort of had plugged in some different ways in which we could start sort of looking at the quality of shots because that wasn't something that we were – really looking at before and sort of some ideas of of how we evaluate the decisions that we're making in the offensive zone so there's conversations that were had and then we also adjusted some of the ways that we track things again specifics i gotta know
1: what, what were some ways that you you changed into or what were some some of it i don't you saw?
2: some of it i don't actually really remember i think well, I would go with a different one. I would go with a different change that wasn't necessarily around any specific problem point. But at a certain point, we started talking about, we were having conversations about about the game, and we started talking about our entries and being more effective on our entries and knowing how to measure that. And um, this is shortly after Ryan had a piece, <laughs> had a piece out on. Um, passing after an entry and how that can kind of signal some quality. And so we tracked um, whether or not we were being able to complete passes off of entries. And that was also something that we wanted to start um, the coaching staff, like the, the idea of, okay, a- adding that quality to our entries and not just having players just uh, end up with like really low quality shots on the outside, if they couldn't do anything or, or whatever. So they kind of wanted to kick that philosophy off as well. And sort of, it was, you have two sides of it, I guess. I care more about being able to measure things. And then the coaches are like more about trying to be able to include that information and, or take that information and like have philosophies on the ice. And so we have different ideas, but they all kind of connect. And one of us might have an idea first and the other, the other ones, you know, sometimes I think the coaches, the coaches were big on the on the shot quality thing, and initially we we weren't in Saginaw. We were we weren't recording scoring chances, and so um, initially in Hamilton, that was like one of the pieces that um, John Gruden wanted us to track scoring chances. So that was like a thing that we added in.
1: Isn't uh, tracking scoring chances really not that great? Shouldn't we be talking about expected goals and things like that?
2: but you don't have the, so we, <laughs> we had this on, we talked about this on our stat primer on the evolving hockey podcast. And I think scoring chances are fine when you don't have the ability to create a sophisticated model because uh, like, obviously they are um not all shots are the same and we want to stay away from our point shots. Right. So it's a way to, it's a way to measure like, your perimeter shots versus your interior shots. It's kind of, you need to like tread lightly sometimes scoring chances. And of course, then my rebuttal was we need to have multiple levels of these of scoring chances. If we're going to use scoring chances, because that at least gets us even closer to an expected goals, but yeah, like it's sometimes all right, as long as you know how to use them. Um, is my sort of take on scoring chances. But if you have the ability to use an expected goals model, there's generally speaking no reason to use a scoring chance.
1: So I'm an unsophisticated data scientist, uh, unlike yourself. So, So tell me where I'm going wrong with this. I feel like a novice could basically plot an offensive zone in Excel, place a value on those cells, place a number in it, and then on another decided show the value of that. And then you can layer on, was it a one-timer? Where did the pass come from? And have a very simple expected goals model that would suffice without having to uh,
2: go too deep in the weeds. You'd probably be correct. We just didn't, the way that we were trying to do this, we were trying to get in a, so it was kind of like a do you take the speed of data acquisition or do you uh, take the quality? And so we wanted to get data in sort of as quickly as possible. And so you would sort of just run things like one row at a time. We didn't have a plot to use. Um, In my particular, particularly in my, in my time we didn't, uh, I don't know what they've done since, um, but we didn't have like a plot to use. So we just had no location for anything. Um, (laughs) So it was, yeah, with no location, then then you sort of have the issue of you're just trying to figure out what's the easiest way to sort of draw something with quality. And I do think that scoring chances was okay as long as you knew how to use it.
1: Yeah, Patrick Bacon was uh, telling me that that was not a good idea. So I was wondering if another
2: gentleman could tell me it was a good idea from onto something. The The novice thing with the location idea? Yeah. Like your idea? I mean, I think it's, again...
1: I mean, he's heavy into the... In- you know, coding it's all, all that. about it's all about,
2: I, I guess, sort of what you're trying to draw from it or how much you're trying to draw what your uncertainty is. If you're willing to to live sort of in an uncertain world, then um, at least you're increasing your bins a little bit, which is good. <laughs> like the problem, the problem always with scoring chances is that you're creating you're determining that a shot's either one or zero. And with the expected goals, it's between zero and one. There's, you're always living with in that. And that um, when you are just outside the bound, right. You're saying that that is the same as something that's way away from the bound, like a shot. That's a foot outside of your home play area. If you're using that for scoring chance is going to be marked that same zero that a point shot is, or that a shot like from the neutral zone is um so like at least you're trying to like break that down a bit so again it's not sophisticated if you have an expected goals model that's better but um if you have nothing else to deal with i think like something sometimes is better than nothing but back to like micah's point sometimes if you don't have the tools to kind of go all the way with the analysis sometimes it's kind of better to just leave it raw so i don't know
1: Fair enough. We'll we'll (laughs) stick to Corsi. So getting into uh, your time with evolving hockey, how did your role evolve after winning a championship?
2: So with evolving hockey, it sort of started out. So as I I mentioned, you know, I kind of brought the twins into the hockey graphs, then they really sort of ran into it at the time. Nobody knew that they're twins. Everybody thought they're one person and then like a year later we find out that they're twins because they're getting too big and um i don't know this was like in 2019 we briefly talked about me kind of doing a lot of like more of the social media stuff or um just having that different point of view for them to to help grow the site and yeah we just kind of we kind of came together on it we met at Ritzack, uh, Rockchester Institute of Technology Sports Analytics Conference in 2019, and sort of talked about what that would look like, and we start. We wanted to kind of bring, I guess, stats to more to everybody, and just kind of make it more popular and communicate communicate like kind of what's going on to like your average person or to anybody. Um, it should be able to kind of fit your most. Uh, novice person um, which is difficult to do to like your expert and be able to kind of make these things uh consumable so it's definitely a different different um different goals that you have there um in different sort of like uh i don't know what you say like it's kind of like a different environment right you're not trying to win anything you're trying to like kind of make an entertainment product i would say like that's Kind of where we're at right now. We're we're trying to like make an entertainment product, and yeah, I mean, we've grown. We talked about like the the Twitter has grown from like uh, four thousand followers to like twenty two thousand followers, and um, a lot of the contract stuff specifically has been a big part. And um, I've definitely I've had my uh, influence on that as well as somebody who has a background in finance. And, um, hopefully that will also kind of like tee into, to our model improvements as well. But I think the modeling stuff has been, or the, the contract model stuff has been big and different players and agents have began, began to follow, but even like game by game stuff, uh, as well, we just sort of been trying to make these things more popular. And I think it's been successful journey so far in these first couple of years.
1: Yeah. And you've done some, some work on your own a little bit as well. And one of your fascinating pieces, and I'm curious to maybe get your thoughts on a little bit further is, is, how you were talking about NHL teams, taking note of a women's college team, Boston college yes. on the power play specifically. So I'd love you to dive into that.
2: So that one was like, was that like the fall of last year? And I thought it was interesting. So, I mean, this is off on, on my own, uh, like personal blog, and I found it interesting. I was having, actually I went to sleep one night and before I went to sleep, I tweeted out that um, eventually NHL power plays won't have bumpers anymore. And cause everybody's kind of stuck in this one three one world and I understand it, but I don't like it. And I think we could eventually grow. We've just been here for a few years and it's time to grow. And but once the box goes away, I, I agree with you. It will. Well, yeah, we'll see. And, um, and a former NHLer had asked me to explain that. He found that very intriguing. And we sort of had a conversation about that and why. And that, that night, I, I watched BC Women's Hockey play. And Hannah Bilka, who um, is an extremely talented player, is sort of their general, if you will, of their power play. And I'm watching it and she's moving so fluidly and she's, there's like almost different like levels. It was just completely different than what you're seeing in the NHL where it's sort of staggered and she's moving in and out of different positions and the way her teammates are moving around her, it was just, um, I I guess you would say like it was super fluid and open and she was able to get off shots from different areas and I found it extremely impressive. And that specific NHL player had told me, um, and I don't know if this was before or after I wrote that, but he we had talked about about film and how NHL players, they never go over even really any other leagues. And I said, you know, like women's hockey would be a good area to look at because the game is a different pace and it's it's so different that, you can kind of understand some core concepts and there's the games are so different too, that they are drawing ideas from different areas and they're sort of developing their own mindsets, which is also sort of what you're getting in Europe, but not exactly because these things are relating. Whereas you go to women's hockey, it's even more separate and yeah, it's just sort of drawing onto that. And so I, I think at times you do sort of see that as well in the NHL, um, I think when the Islanders power play is going well, like you see Matt Barzell kind of doing something like that, but um, yeah, it's just all about like creating more space on the power play and just using players as effectively as possible. And I just generally speaking, think that um, teams could just do a lot more of drawing inspiration from other leagues uh, whether that is men's or women's hockey and probably even other sports. I think, there's a lot that relates to basketball. I think basketball is the most similar sport to hockey um, that you could draw things on more than more so than soccer. Uh, But yeah, like drawing things even from other sports and just trying to understand what's kind of happening at its core and sort of adjusting from there.
1: And you, you write a lot about the Leafs, which I find fascinating since you're Bruins fan, you've got a big Bruins symbol behind you so where did that come from
2: um one of my best friends is a leafs fan and actually i have multiple i have a lot of friends that are leafs fans so i shouldn't say that and then i have a friend that works for for the leafs as well and they're just a super popular team i've just found it fun to watch i think austin matthews is um he's just a lot of fun to watch because not only is he a dynamic offensive player, but he's rounded out his game defensively as well. I know you've written about that and in um, the way he plays, the way he conserves energy, et cetera, is super fun to watch. And I've liked William Nylander. And I just, I just like a lot of the players on that team. I like the Bruins as well, um, especially their, well, their first line, especially right. And uh, Charlie McAvoy and Mac on the back end. And lucky, I'm lucky enough to go watch them in person regularly, but um I'm not as lucky to be able to go watch the leaves, but yeah, that's kind of stems on it, just friendships.
1: Well, when you uh officially cut the cord per se, and you get blacked out of all the local games, so I'm I can't be a Jackets fan because I don't get any of the games. So leaves are the next best option for me. So East Coast time zone. Uh, So I'm in on this leaf. So I want to talk a little bit further on this. Um, And you had a great piece uh, in in my opinion about how we should not tear the Leafs down after they lost to Montreal in the playoffs again in the first round.
2: Okay, I have to remember which one I feel like I've written on it multiple times, but yeah, like the, I I understand like it, it wears on everybody that like, But playoffs are playoffs. There's just a lot of luck that was built into that. Um, And I think it was like just to me, I, I try to look at it as much as possible. I try to look at things from like a very neutral standpoint and just like enjoy things. And I remember like watching those games and while I'm cheering for the Leafs, I just remember almost like smiling and just having a lot of fun that. Carrie price was just like on his game specifically in those overtime games. I mean, they were losing those games. They all, they lost those games in tight games. Right. And although they kind of had to come back for them um, and they, and they won a couple in, in dominant fashion, but it was like, sometimes you just have to like appreciate that at the end of the day, like Carrie price was just, he was back to being prime Carrie price and it was like a lot of fun to watch. And I think there's just a lot of pressure also that comes from it with the fact that they are top heavy in terms of salary and their team. And I think there's just a lot of misconceptions about the way that they structure the uh, roster Um, and they choose like a different route than say Tampa Bay. Who's also kind of gotten lucky uh, to be able to kind of sign guys to really good deals or like a, a Boston who just flat out got lucky with, um their biggest stars taking deals so um yeah i don't think it's it's as big of a deal you look at them now they're what tied for first in the league in terms of points although they haven't played or they played a lot of games so far i believe like i don't think they have it in points percentage but i think they they're tied in points and they're super hot lately they um are just dominating games. Like I think their the record doesn't even show how good that they've been. And they've had like Rasmus Sandine and, and even uh, Ligran kind of come in and just sort of just be solid defensemen for them. So, yeah, I, I don't think it, I think this is the year that they get over the hump, but I could be mistaken. And that's why you don't tear it down.
1: What we need is evolution, not revolution.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of it, right? <laughs> that's a good way to put it with the evolving hockey, right? I mean, yeah, it's just sort of changing the different pieces and keeping the same core and going at it, which is also something that like these other some of the other successful teams have have done, right? Like you look at the Bruins, the Bruins they have their core. Granted, they've kind of gotten lucky with the contracts here with Bergeron and Marchand and Pasternak. And McAvoy and the other pieces kind of just sort of rotate in and out and you just don't know what what the world is going to have set for you. Right. Because they kind of fell into Taylor Hall at an extremely cheap price. They didn't go out and get him in free agency and then they traded for a second round pick and uh, a third liner for him. And they signed him to a value deal because he had a few bad years and everybody was down on him. Um Whereas the Leafs, did not necessarily was, have that up.
1: Yeah, I think he was fed up
2: with sucking
1: and constantly losing that. He was like, all right, I will take a deal to be in a, a fun work environment.
2: <laughs> well, he took, yeah, he took that like one year risk on himself with COVID and it just didn't work out. I think he just wanted, I think he really likes it in Boston where he's not the centerpiece as well. Uh, He gets to play second line and it's good enough for him. And yeah, I I sort of agree with you there. And it's just also a good environment. Um, It's just a better, yeah, it's a better work environment. Not even necessarily fun playing. I think just the Bruins leadership is, is nice for him. I think he just, I think he really appreciates that. And it sort of allows him to grow into a, a leader in his veteran years. So we'll see. I think he's quite happy with this decision, but yeah, I mean, back to the Leafs, I, I think you, you have the same pieces and then you have these like little exterior parts that kind of go in and out. And you look at some of the signings that they made this summer um, and how they've worked out with conf and Kasha. And like, I think you look at that and you say, well, like now, those are key parts of the team bunting. You know, these are key parts to the, to the team now, cause they're super cheap and they're playing well. And, you know, yeah, it's just sort of evolutionizing.
1: Awesome. That is what I have for, for this evening, anything else uh, or anything you want to plug floor is all yours. Otherwise we'll wrap this up and I want to thank you for coming on.
2: Yeah. I don't think I have anything necessarily to, to plug, I guess, follow the evolving hockey account. If you, if you don't and listen to our podcast as well, I guess, but um no i i don't think i have anything um specific to to say it was just uh it was fun to talk to you for the last sort of hour here and uh well going in and out of recording when my internet went down but uh yeah i had a blast talking and hopefully we could do it again
1: yeah absolutely man we'll we'll turn it around you can uh interview me
2: really (laughs) go crazy we'll
1: evolve through that too
2: Yes, exactly. Keep going with the puns. Yeah, absolutely.
1: All right. Well, thanks, Sean. Have a good evening.
2: Thank you, you too.
1: Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I know I did. So before we let you go, though, we'd like to remind you to please like our podcast, subscribe to it, give us a follow uh, and share this with all the hockey people in your life. We really appreciate, uh, growing this community, this podcast. Um, remember we also have a newsletter, the hockey IQ newsletter as well. Really excited to continue to grow this. So please help us grow this further by liking, subscribing, following, and sharing uh, with everyone. So appreciate you all. Take care.
0: concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, hockeysarsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch you, Buttes, here next week for a brand new episode.